Well, good morning, Skyview, and uh, I want to just say a special word of thanks to Roman for leading us so well, and uh, also to Pastor Jen uh, for her Kids Minute. Will you join me this morning, as we are accustomed to, in praying together as we prepare to hear the word of the Lord? Lord, open our hearts and minds by the power of your Holy Spirit, that as the scriptures are read and your word is proclaimed, we may hear with joy what you have to say to us today. Amen. Our scripture on this Palm Sunday comes from Matthew's Gospel, chapter 21, and we're going to read together the first 11 verses. If you have your worship folder, it will be right there for you to follow along. When they had come near Jerusalem and had reached Bethphage at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village ahead of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, just say this, The Lord needs them, and he will send them immediately. This took place to fulfill what had been spoken through the prophet, saying, Tell the daughter of Zion, Look, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put their cloaks on them, and he sat on them. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and that followed were shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was in turmoil, asking, Who is this? The crowds were saying, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee. This is the word of the Lord. What does it mean to be a Christian? If you read Matthew's gospel carefully, I think Matthew would have us describe ourselves as followers of Jesus. He seems to want to have us understand that to be the kinds of people that God wants us to be means that we are those who walk where Jesus walks, who goes where Jesus goes. I think it is very helpful to, uh, to think of the Christian life in terms of following when I, uh, when, uh, you know, we had our children, I remember that when Lauren first started to walk, uh, she kind of followed you everywhere you went. And it's kind of fun when our children start to follow us, but sometimes, you know, it puts a lot of pressure on us as parents to be careful how we lead our children. But I do think that to follow Jesus is to go where he goes. And in Matthew's gospel, we find that when the disciples followed Jesus, they, they would discover things about him. 
In fact, following him means that you get to really see who he is. So on occasions, he heals people. And so the disciples become aware and enlightened to who he is as a healer. In other occasions, Jesus would teach and the wisdom that he had would make them understand and believe in him as a teacher, a rabbi, and even in some cases, a prophet. This particular Lenten season is an invitation for us to also follow Jesus so that we would see who he is. And I believe as we enter this Holy Week, the invitation is for us to go all the way to the cross, because it is there that we behold who He is in His fullness. And if I may say it this way, I don't think we can really understand who Jesus is unless we are willing to go all the way with Him to the cross. A healer, yes, a teacher, yes, a prophet, yes, but more significantly, a Messiah who would give His life to save many. So I think that to follow Jesus requires courage. To follow Him is to find ourselves, perhaps at times, entering places that are hard and difficult. I think that following Jesus does not only require courage, but at times it requires a humility, a willingness to see beyond our own aspirations of what we would like Jesus to be. I think of earlier in the gospel when Jesus begins to prepare his followers, his closest followers, the disciples that he had called to come after him. He starts to tell them that I'm going to have to die on this cross, and, and that is coming. And you remember the account in Matthew chapter 16 where Peter jumps in and, and says, please, Lord, this, this cannot be. And Jesus' remarkable, perhaps astonishing response to Peter is, get behind me, Satan. It seems that, that, that Peter would want to follow Jesus, but not all the way to the cross. And i got to be honest with you, I think my tendency in terms of following God is to, is to have God or Jesus kind of follow me as opposed to me following Him. It seems at least that the tendency of some disciples is to try to get Jesus to go where they want to go and not to go where he wants to go. But Jesus would say to Peter and to his disciples in that same chapter, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. And so quite simply on this Palm Sunday, the question that I ask you, the congregation that calls this church your home, are we following Jesus where He wants to take us? You know, I know that, that, that sometimes my prayer is, you know, Jesus, can you go with me? Can you bless my endeavors and, and, and can you answer my prayers? But the invitation in the Scripture repeatedly for those who would follow Him is to go to where He wants to go, to make Him the priority, to make Him the compass, if you will, to ask ourselves the question honestly as Christians, some of us walking with Jesus for a long time, but are we still following Him? At the time in which Jesus enters Jerusalem, we are told in the chapter preceding the one that we just read from that many people had begun, begun to follow him. 
Uh, it's interesting, Jesus leaves Jericho and he heals these two blind men. And in the description of what is happening around Jesus' ministry is, is, is this insertion that a large crowd began to follow Jesus. Uh, I think the crowd follows him because there's something remarkable about him. There's, there's something worth paying attention to. He is the, the kind of person that when he goes places, people take note. And, and, and certainly, a miraculous healing would inspire others who are perhaps broken in different ways to seek out a healer. We also know that the crowd that follows Jesus towards Jerusalem are, are likely Galileans. These are not the people from Jerusalem. And I think it's really important that we just pause for a moment to recognize that the crowd who sees Jesus healing and, and, and begins to understand who He is as they follow, they have an insight unlike the people in Jerusalem. You know, uh, when I first read this text, I thought that perhaps I should preach on how people can praise Jesus and cry out glory to this particular prophet uh, on one day and just a few days later change their mind and yell, crucify Him. But as I paid attention to the text closely, I realized that those who had been following Jesus had seen something about Jesus that the people in Jerusalem had not yet seen, that in fact it's not the same crowd, at least not according to our text, that hails Him, Hosanna, Son of David, and then cries, crucify Him, but it is perhaps those who have not yet begun to follow that does so. And then our text tells us, that when Jesus enters Jerusalem with this worshiping crowd, that the city itself responds very differently. It says that the city is in uproar. The language here would indicate that Jesus' presence was unsettling in the city of Jerusalem. And so my inquiring mind, and so should yours, I, I think, would ask why. You see, there, there was many expectations and anticipations of a Messiah. The Jewish people had been through so much. They had been exiled. They had lost their independence. They were longing for a day when, when God would restore their land and set their fortunes right. They were waiting for a Messiah. In fact, when Jesus enters the city of Jerusalem, uh, it was governed by Rome. And as Jesus comes in, perhaps there are some of them that are wondering whether this might be the, the one who will overthrow the Roman government. Maybe this will be the Messiah who comes in and sets things right. In fact, just a century before Jesus uh, would appear in, uh, in Galilee, there, there, there was this this general, this Syrian general, Antiochus Epiphanes IV. I butchered that, but stay with me. He, he wanted to eradicate the Jewish religion, and he wanted to bend Israel's loyalty toward himself and his own ambition of world domination, if you will. We are told historically that he attacked Jerusalem and desecrated the temple. It's like Antiochus was, was clinical in his understanding of how to, to really get people to, to disbelieve and to stop hoping 
for uh, this renewal that they were anticipating. Because you see, the people knew and expected that when the Messiah arrived, he would come to Jerusalem, and there from the temple he would begin to restore all things. Ah, Antiochus desecrates the temple. But not all Jews would take this lying down, and a revolution broke out spearheaded by Judas the Maccabean, and, and he is surprisingly victorious over Antiochus, and then he reclaims the temple in Jerusalem. And so significant was the temple to the people of God that, that, that they worshipped this Judas the Maccabean. In fact, when he enters Jerusalem, they throw palm branches before him, and they hail him as Messiah. I just wonder that when Jesus entered Jerusalem, whether in the back of the minds of those who were with him and those who were observing him, was the sense that perhaps another revolutionary Messiah was coming to free Israel from its oppressor. But what we see is not a, is not a, a general on a war horse, it's not a military king, but we see, as one of my favorite South African theologians says of Jesus, he is the man on a borrowed donkey. He does not enter Jerusalem to conquer it as the people would conquer it. And, and by the way, I, I think that when we follow Jesus like this group of Galileans and uh, had followed him that, that sometimes we too have anticipations, expectations of who Jesus is and what he would do. And I think the reality is, is that the people would soon be disappointed because their expectations of Messiah would not be the kind of expectations that Jesus would live up to. He, instead of seeking to overthrow Rome, would enter Jerusalem on, a, on an animal that represents not military might, but humility. He, he would enter in such a way as to perhaps ignite interest in him, but also confusion. Who is this man who comes into Jerusalem? What is he about? What has he come to do? We know that he is not a military king, and he would not lead an insurrection against Rome. Uh, but the people who were following him, the followers, have an insight, and, and they hail him, Hosanna to the son of David. Uh, this word, Hosanna, means save us. Those who are following him know enough about him to know that he is the one that might save them. Uh, but... Who Jesus is, is not what even that enlightened crowd would think. Because he would be the one who rides into Jerusalem on a borrowed donkey and who would willingly surrender his life in order to save the world. I don't know if we quite know this or get this, and certainly for me, when I started to study the Scriptures and went through Bible college and uh, did theological studies, I, I was surprised to find that 
the ancient world did not see a Messiah the way that we now understand him. You see, a Messiah does not die. The cross would mean failure. Following this Jesus and hailing him who they did in their minds would not end in death. And yet, the Gospels make this point very clear. The very thing that people thought was the failure of the mission of Jesus became our very hope. What appears to be the end will become the beginning. What seeks to be the end will become the hope that they are waiting for. And so I say to you as followers of Jesus, which we all are, that there are perhaps times in which we follow Him and we know Him in a certain light, but that as we continue to follow Him, even to the places of surrender like the cross, there we will capture an image of a Messiah that is greater than our own ambitions and greater than our own desires, and indeed will give Himself in such a way as to truly be the Savior, not only of Israel, but of the world. It is why we worship Jesus. It is why we believe that every tongue that confesses and every knee that bows to this Christ will experience the joy of salvation and the freedom that comes through following a Messiah who would give himself over in love so that we may live. And so this morning... I believe that the invitation in the text is quite simple. It is in this holy week important to follow Jesus. And before we jump too quickly to Resurrection Sunday, I I know we've got our pom-poms ready and, and we're excited about that. But even today, as we wave branches in celebration of Him, may we not just stay at the gates of Jerusalem, but may we follow Him all the way to the mount of His crucifixion. You're saying, Stu, what does that mean? What does it mean to follow Jesus all the way there? It, it means that we apprehend a picture of our Savior that says even when things go horribly wrong and even when things end in death, it is not the end. You see, when you follow Jesus all the way to the cross, you get a picture of Him that you cannot get when you're just standing at the gates of Jerusalem. When you follow Jesus all the way to Golgotha, you see there the one who in love gives Himself, not only that we may live, but that we may share in the very hope of resurrection that He will make possible. The invitation is quite simple. Don't stop following Jesus when life gets hard. I know that it's sometimes easier to praise Him when we're all here in the sanctuary, and boy, do I miss you. Uh, it's, it's, it's fantastic, and I'm sure Roman would probably agree today. It's, it's a lot more fun to worship with a full band. And, and I, can, I can picture them here. I can see the Henderson girls, their little praise chorus going off on the side right there. It's a lot easier to, 
to be in an environment where everybody is, is together and praising God. But, but we are in this situation, in this world, in this challenge. And I, I got to say to you that when we follow Jesus, we're not spared from these hard things. We're not spared from these challenges. And, and perhaps we, we feel a little discomfort. I, I just want to offer you a word of hope today. It's okay because Jesus goes to the places of discomfort. When we follow Him, we can trust Him that, that even when it becomes dark, He is with us. There is hope. I, I want to challenge you to, to recognize that no matter where you are in your following of Him, don't believe the lie that it is always easy. But I think that in following Him, uh, we may have to let go in this week of some of our false perspectives. Uh, I have maybe said this once too many times in our church services, but there was a time that I really believed God owed me a better life. <laughs> I believed that, that somehow I should not go through challenges, and, 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 I, and I think deep down inside I, I was holding things against Him because I felt He was being unfair. I'll never forget when a friend reminded me that if the one we follow was not spared from suffering, why would we? And yet suffering is not our end. Darkness will not have the final word. But the invitation to follow Jesus Christ today is to let go of this false perspective that, that life will always be easy and that we would not experience hardship. Let me remind you of the words that Jesus speaks to Peter. He says, if anyone would come after me, must deny himself and pick up his cross and follow me. We need to learn how to carry our crosses well, to follow well while being burdened. I don't know if in my upbringing I ever heard a sermon like this, and perhaps I did, but, you know, I was a teenager and a young man that didn't pay much attention, and to add to that, I was a pastor's kid, and so we heard so many sermons, uh, but I just wonder if perhaps this message needs to be spoken very honestly to you today, that you can still follow even when things are hard. Do not stop when life is unfair, when challenges come your way. Because according to John chapter 16, Jesus is the one who says these words to His disciples, and He says these words to us. I have told you these things, so that in Me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Thanks be to God. In response to hearing the word and with all of our heart and with all of our mind, let us pray to the Lord of our world and our nation. Our Savior comes to us humbly, riding a donkey and proclaiming a message of peace. 
Let us pray for the church, for earth and all its creatures, and for all people in need, saying, God of mercy, hear our prayer. That Christians hear and share the word of God as true disciples. God of mercy, hear our prayer. That all ends of the earth receive the words of the King of peace. God of mercy, hear our prayer. That all people live with gratitude for the gifts of nourishment, friendship, family, trust, patience, and hope, with the courage and wisdom to change whatever fails to be life-giving. God of mercy, hear our prayer. That those who see the cross starkly revealed in their lives draw strength from the name that is above every other name. God of mercy, hear our prayer. That we might live with gratitude for our ancestors, whose faith and witness have nourished our own, that all who mourn today will be comforted, and that we who hope to greet Jesus when he comes again will be ready and filled with joy. God of mercy, hear our prayer. God, our creator, you show your sons and daughters the way to freedom through the gentle obedience of your son. Jesus Christ, in whose name we forever pray. Amen. Mm -hmm.